Welcome to Thriller Premium. Welcome to Thriller Premium. Gathering all the information you would need to stay ahead of the curve on your crypto investments. Welcome to Thriller Rundown. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls from around the world, welcome back to another exciting episode of Thriller Rundown. Today is September 1st, 2019. We are talking the devaluation of the U.S. dollar today. Yeah, it's a, it's a very important episode. I think we're going to all learn a lot from it. And I bet some of you will take some action because of it. All right, let's get started. The Rundown, starting now. The Rundown. I will start off by saying that the dollar in of itself, there's a lot of misconceptions out there about it, how it affects our economy and ways to solve the many problems we now face. Now, I hope to answer some of those questions here today but uh, let's get right to the point. Gold was for many years the metal of choice due to its durability, fungibility, and rarity. Because of the stability of gold, it was seen as a hedge against hyperinflation and the kind of economic tampering and monetary policy that brought down the Spanish and Roman empires, right? But there are critics of gold because they warn that due to its physical commodity, the U.S. was too closely tied to the fortunes of mining output of the metal versus actual economic growth. Now, this started to gradually move away from the gold standard. The adoption of the Brentwood system after World War II. Yeah, that's right. The world's currencies were pegged to the dollar because of it. And gold at a rate of $35 per ounce had ensued. But under President Nixon... The Brentwoods establishment began to crumble. The U.S. had pumped billions of dollars of money into the system to pay for the Vietnam War, which caused inflation. Now, because of that, international pressure took hold on the U.S. to abandon Brentwoods so international currencies could be freely valued on the market. And, of course, the U.S. unilaterally terminated Brentwoods in 1971, causing the U.S. dollar to effectively become the reserve currency for every country who had used this old system, which remains commonplace to this day. Now, new dollars are issued when the Federal Reserve elects to fund the purchase of debt, primarily through U.S. Treasury bonds. By creating new reserves, rather than financing the purchase with existing reserves, the bond issuer spends the money, new dollars are pumped into the system. I mean, it works. But when you compare it to hard money like gold or silver, this debt-based approach has the advantage of making the currency elastic basically giving the government a means of expanding or contracting the money supply because in response to the changing economic conditions. The disadvantage of this approach is inflation. The money supply must be continually expanded in order to finance interest payments on the debt by which it is issued. 
This devalues the currency, causing inflation. This is why you always hear everybody talk about the future expansion. Now, many economists believe that the international demand for dollars in the form of our debt, such as treasury bills, allows the U.S. to maintain huge trade deficits without fear of major currency devaluation. But you're probably wondering, hey, Carr, what's so wrong with the currency devaluation being so bad? Well, it's kind of simple, really. The less your currency is worth, the less goods and services you can buy with your money. The less companies make for receiving payment for goods and services and the less people actually make when they take their paychecks home. This causes governments and citizens to put more and more and more money into the system to try to get the number of goods that they used to buy. So not only is their money worth less, but inflation also can become a very big problem, which in so's currency devaluation is only solved through changes in tax laws, aggressive interest rate increases, reduction in trade deficits, and or a strong corporate profits. So currently right now we have trillions in debt, right? Corporations have billions in debt. When we look at the landscape of the world, we see this trade war with China. We see that here, November 23rd is when they're going to roll out their own digital currency. We know last week in Jackson Hole, we had some of the European banks, one person specifically, ask the world, ask the IMF to create their own reserve currency to replace the dollar as the world's reserve currency. Will this be bad? Well, it certainly won't be good for the U.S., at least temporarily. If the world switches to some new type of new reserve currency, whether it be the euro, the yuan, or some basket of currencies like somebody asked here last week, there will be an initial shock to the U.S. system. Make no mistake. Well, let's just kind of imagine what that would look like. What would, what would actually occur? Well, I guess, I guess it would basically mean that the value of the dollar would be flooding the market, right? That will naturally depreciate future demand and then will cause it to be lower. So in this situation, the U.S. would either have to buy back all the dollars or there will be some kind of fire sale of the currency on the open market. Neither option is good. Maybe one of those options is illegal. Um, the U.S. Federal Reserve cannot monetize the debt that it issues. This means that in this case, we can't buy back debt by issuing more debt. So we can't buy back the debt and the foreigners don't want the debt. Who will buy it? This is the problem. And the reason why so many economists and independent observers are nervous. If it happens, we are in for a painful devaluation process that will shake our economic system to its core. And you don't even have to believe me about this, right? What do I know? I'm just a uh, podcaster, um, technologist, um, person that uh, is involved in crypto and Bitcoin and goes to these conferences and listens to these people and does his own studying and you know has a family, has a mortgage, has everything, 401k, um, but I choose to spend my time focused on this information. Why would you believe somebody like me? You shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> you shouldn't believe somebody like me. You should take the advice of somebody 
who has been at this for more than 50 years. And that's why I decided to do. Take a listen to Ray Dalio. Not 2007 to 2009, we have a debt crisis that hits zero. Then in both of those cases, there's only one thing for central banks to do, and that is to print money and buy financial assets. They print money by financial assets in both of those times. That pushes financial asset prices up, puts a lot of liquidity in, and also contributes to a greater wealth gap. Because those who own financial assets benefit when those who don't own financial assets. As a result, in both periods of time of the wealth gap and the economy not improving for a large segment of the population, we have populism. So the last time that we would say when was populism popular, it would be in, the, uh, in that period of time. That populism issue is an important issue. So as we look forward and we say when the next uh, downturn comes, which will happen probably in a couple of years, um, we're going to have a different type of downturn, very similar to the one that happened in 1937 to the 1940 period. We, have, we are in the part of the cycle now that the Fed and other central banks, in varying degrees, are beginning to tighten monetary policy. Asset prices are sensitive to monetary policy because the duration of those assets is lengthened. And so the, it, central banks have to be very careful not to raise interest rates much faster than is built into the curve. But with that populism, uh, we have an issue. Um, so if we think about what the next downturn will be like, the downturn, I think, will be very different than the one in 2008. It'll be one in which um, I think that the social and political problems will be great because of that wealth gap and populism. I think there'll be more conflict. Right now, times are good, and we're at, uh, sort of at each other's throats in that. I also think, I also worry about the effectiveness in monetary policy in reversing that because monetary policy uh, has interest rates and we can't lower interest rates as much and it has quantitative easing, the purchases of financial assets to push other financial assets out and get liquidity into the system and that is at its maximum. So when we have a downturn we're not going to have it to be as effective. I think also the downturn um, in our form of debt crisis won't just be debts. It'll also be pension obligations, health care obligations, unfunded obligations. So, so and I think one, one more thing, and I think it'll be um, about um, us having to sell a lot of treasury bonds to the rest of the world. And I think that that'll also be an issue about two years out. So I would say two years out is when I'm worried about and I, and I would think that um, that's for these various reasons. Speaking in financial terms, if we look at what you're seeing through the lens of the markets, how bad is it likely to be relative to what we went through in 2008, 2009? Oh, I don't think that it's going to be as sharp and severe like that. I think it's more going to grind on. And I think the... Um, um, it, it, all of these obligations will be a problem to be funded. And I think it'll be more back there of a dollar crisis than it would be a debt crisis. And I think it'll be more of a political and social crisis what than a big, a big sharp crisis? there. Well, when we have to sell a lot of treasury bonds to the rest of the, we have to sell a lot of treasury bonds. And we, as Americans, um, will not be able to buy all of those treasury bonds. And if interest rates rise too much, the way it usually works is that constricts credit. We borrow less. And that creates a weakness in the economy. 
So instead, because we'll sell to foreigners, the, uh, from a foreign perspective, when they look at it, they, they care not about inflation, they care about currency depreciation when they look at the interest rate. So if a currency goes down, it be, the bonds become cheaper. I think the Federal Reserve at that point will have to print more money to make up the, for the deficit, have to monetize more of the, and that, that'll cause um, a depreciation in the value of the dollar. I think we're, we risk, um, we, we have the privileged position of being able to borrow in our own currency because we have the world's leading reserve currency. I think we are risking that by our um, finances, in other words, borrowing too much. And you can get to the point where, um, you know, others, when you own a bond in a, in a U.S. bond or in any particular currency, you're getting a pile of that currency. By how much could the dollar go down? Well, I, you know, you could have, um, you easily could have a 30% uh, depreciation in the dollar through that period of time. You know, it depends how long, 30, 30%, I would say. Ray, some people say that, you know, to use, to borrow Ken Rogoff's terminology, this time is different. That because the post-crisis recovery was so slow, because we've had a massive tax cut in the United States, because the Trump administration is deregulating the economy, the GDP growth is going to keep on accelerating. And that a downturn or a recession is many, many, many years away, not two years away. I take it you don't agree. Um, I, I, I just do the calculations and um, the fiscal stimulation that we're having is coming at a higher rate of capacity utilization, a higher rate. And so we're getting that stimulation at the late part of a cycle. And that's what we're having. So he said two things there. He said a dollar crisis and he said a confrontation with us the U.S. losing its status as a world reserve currency. Two very important things, right? Now, what do I think is going to happen? Like, wh where, do, where do I see this going? Because we have covered in past episodes about what uh, a, a big hedge conglomerate like BlackRock is going to do or what they're kind of uh, expecting the central banks to do what they're recommending because they do have a subdivision that is the auditor of these big financial institutions. Their answer is helicopter money. Exactly what Ray said. Injecting more capital into the system, whether that's through rebates or cold hard cash into bank deposits. It's doing that. And if we continue to do that, That'll lose us reserve currency status. All right, with that, let's get into five good minutes. Five good minutes. All right. So today in five good minutes, we're going to talk about what I think is going to happen. Um, I don't have any kind of insight other than what is publicly available out there. Um, I do look at this stuff every day <laughs> compulsively. Um, so put the timer on. Cool.
So I think what we're seeing here is a devaluation in the U.S. dollar. And um, I think what's going to happen is China's going to release their digital currency. And I think after that, we're going to see multiple countries around the world create their own digital currency. I think at that point, that's going to leave the IMF to create some kind of world reserve currency, whether that's, uh, you know, a stable coin of some sort where it, it, you know, it grabs from gold, it grabs from, you know, maybe the U.S. dollar, however they plan on doing it. But I do think that ultimately 100 percent or at least I shouldn't say 100, 99.9 percent probability that the United States dollar will lose its reserve currency status for sure. Um, I think uh, I think for the vast majority of the world, uh, they think we've kind of gone drunk off of printing this stuff. So it, it makes sense for them to kind of pull that away from us. Um, what I think happens to the U.S. dollar? Um, well, I think if that in turn happens, we could see the devaluation of the U.S. dollar uh, just because if we have one, say, IMF token or one world coin or whatever they're going to call it, um, and this is like one world coin, and this is a reserve currency of the world. You know, it might take seven dollars for one world coin. <laughs> you know, uh, it might take you know maybe one to one with the U.S. dollar. Who knows? But we're going to be in that mindset to where we're going to have to have so many U.S. dollars to one world coin. And I'm familiar with this in a similar sense because I grew up in South Texas and I remember traveling to Mexico and having to do that pesos to dollar conversion in my head. And at the time thinking like, oh, I can get so much stuff for a dollar <laughs> and uh, not realizing how that devaluation worked um, for people in Mexico. So I don't think it'll ever get to 20 to one. Oh, let's hope not. Uh, but I do think we're going to see a devaluation. And according to Ray, he said up to 30 percent. And if that's the case, then that's maybe like two to one world coin, however they decide to do it. Um, but I think that's I think that's ultimately what's going to happen. I think at that point, you're probably going to have the Federal Reserve print more money. And that's going to be directly handed to us to kind of offset that inflation, which will in turn create more inflation. But that's really the only thing they can do. And that's according to the document that we read um, from BlackRock. Uh, that's something that Ben Bernanke has had in the works since the early 2000s. This is all out there, publicly available, just not reported on. So I think that I think ultimately that's what's going to happen. I, th I think ultimately that's kind of where we're headed. I don't know how long it's going to take, but it all it, it very much seems like uh, Ray Dalio and other big prominent American celebrity investors are kind of thinking the same thing. They're, they're just not outright saying it because they probably can't, I would imagine, but somebody like me can, <laughs> right? Um, so I think I think if if we consume more than we produce, and you know, and people that continue to buy our debt and and pump more money into the system, this is all a cycle, and. Um, the economy may recover, and let's hope the U.S. recovers too as well. But um, we can't expect anybody out there to buy our own debt, and I, I think we shouldn't. I think either we need to uh, – I don't know how to solve something like that. <laughs> I really don't. Um, but I'm very happy that I'm into Bitcoin. And that's kind of uh, 
that's my five good minutes on where I think this is all headed. And I think a lot of y'all kind of feel the exact same way. Okay, with that, let's get into Code Hard Truth. I want to talk to you about my plan on all everything we talked about. The Hard Truth. I think I'm entitled. You want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. So I want to tell you my plan for all of this because I think I'm doing a disservice by not explaining what I plan on doing, uh, at least for me and my family. Um, I am somebody who is very interested in the crypto space and in the Bitcoin space. Uh, been um, at this for three years already podcasting about it, uh, reporting on it, learning about it every day. Um, I'm so blessed that I have a subscription podcast, to be honest with you. So lucky every single one of you listen, um, because uh, that allows me more time to really investigate what's going on. There's no, I can tell you right now, there's absolutely no way I would have discovered all of everything that we've discovered over the course of the summer. Um, without having the subscription podcast. This forces me to uh, do research, forces me to be vigilant about my uh, research that I gather, uh, find verifiable facts, truth, everything like that. So thank you for that. Um, I do want to say that this past weekend, uh, actually, I want to say for past two weeks already at this point, I've really been, actually, you know what? I would probably say since June. June is when I kind of started having these ideas in my head about where this is headed. Because my mind spins like no other when it comes to this kind of stuff. Like it just starts thinking and then what compounds to that, what leads to that. Starts speculating in my head, but I don't really formulate a plan or anything until I actually get a good consensus in my head that I'm like, okay, let's speak about it. Um, Here over the past two weeks, I've kind of started speaking about it with my wife, with my close friends, with my family, about where this is all headed, trying to see how crazy I sound. Um, and that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> look, getting advice from people close to you is a good thing. Um, so I started thinking about this like as a kind of like a, an approach to how, how I would view like, um, you know, organizing a rollout for a, um, a network. It was through that that I kind of had this process where I was like, well, you know, for the vast majority of my life, uh, at least through my professional life, I've I've saved cold hard cash in the bank, right? And it's something that I think a lot of us do. Um, I have a four hundred one k. That's something that a lot of us do as well, too. Um, and then you know we have our bills that we get paid, and maybe you kind of set yourself a um, some kind of like uh, you know allowance. I do that for for a given week. Try not to go over it, <laughs> and. Um, kind of do that, right? And so over this course of time, you know, the cash has accumulated in the bank and that's good. It's good. It feels good to know that you have something there in case, you know, something happens or anything goes wrong. You can get yourself out of whatever situation, right? Good to have cash on hand. At this point, I've become exceedingly worried about how that cash is going to evolve over this next downturn and what people are calling the next, you know, recession, right? Um, and then started looking at everything that we've covered in this subscription podcast, 
over the past summer and quickly realizing like that cash that I have in the bank is probably not as safe as I think it is. Um, and what does that mean? And where do I move that money to, right? Um, as, I, as I thought about it long and hard, and don't get me wrong, I have a lot invested in Bitcoin and crypto. We talked about it yesterday on the show, showed you guys my blockfolio, try to be as transparent as possible with where all my assets are. At that point, I really realized that, you know, I need to take 10% of those cash reserves that I have and um, put it into Bitcoin. Um, and that's what we did this weekend. It, believe it or not, it was really something hard to do um, because I'm not sure how you guys run y'all's family, <laughs> but I like to think that we come up with a uh, a pretty good approach to um, everybody agrees on something. It's not just one person. It's not just me saying, hey, this is how we're going to do it. Follow me. No, it's not like that at all. It's more like, hey, this is what I think we should do. This is These are the reasons why. These are some verifiable truths. Let me lay it out for you. Um, what do you think? You know, and then kind of go back and forth with it. Really have a, 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 a really communal uh, conversation about w what this is and what this entails and what are the positives and negatives for this. And so that's what we did. Like, hats off to my wife. She, like, really sat there with me and we discussed it for about two and a half hours on Friday night. And, and then afterwards, we came up with the, uh, the idea of, of doing that. Um, so... We have 10% less cash reserves than we did before this past weekend. And um, I think uh, ultimately, I think once we get to, I would say later, early next year, depending on when that is, maybe February, maybe March, we'll probably throw another 10% in. Um, I just know that if the value of the dollar is gonna go down 30%, I don't wanna lose, <laughs> lose that. Um, just sitting in the bank. And then if those banks close down, <laughs> I don't want to lose all of that. Uh, and I think for me and my family, I think it's uh, I think it's a sure bet, uh, at least uh, for myself and my family, that it's better off being held in Bitcoin, um, right, uh, than opposed to being held on a bank. And it really took me, like, it's one thing to talk about all this stuff and one thing to, like, you know, say you're into crypto, say you're into Bitcoin, but to actually make that, that leap of faith, because <laughs> it was a lot of money, uh, you you really need to like um, kind of evaluate everything and, and, and lay it out on the table, talk about it, and uh, come to a consensus about what the plan of attack is. So at this point, I feel a lot more comfortable. I feel a lot more less weight off my shoulders lot less stressed than I did um, prior to this weekend. Uh, and that's because I moved over a large sum amount into Bitcoin. And um, believe me, I, it wasn't e an easy decision for myself. It wasn't something that um, I would have ever thought I would have been doing. I kind of would have just kept doing what I was doing. And that's just dollar cost averaging in. And, and that's doing that over a span of the next five to 10 years, right? Like that's what I would have done and not even thought about it. But this this talk of recession, this kind of ramp up into everything that's going on, seeing what Ray Dalio is talking about. He just released another article through LinkedIn. Um, he released something earlier in July. Um, we got other people um, that are highly respected that are saying the same thing. Um, a lot of them are saying to get into gold. I don't understand gold, uh, nor would I know how to even go about it. 
Uh, that's something that uh, is just, you know, above my head. And if I remember one specific investor saying, don't invest in something you don't understand. <laughs> I think that was Warren Buffett that said that, uh, surprisingly. Um, so I'm not going to invest in gold because I don't, I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't, I mean, I get it, but I don't, I don't understand it to the level of somebody um, like a Peter Schiff or something. Um, my generation's gold is Bitcoin. So I'm going to invest in that and hold uh, that long term. And, and that's going to have a store of value like no other. It could increase and that'd be cool. <laughs> but at this point, um, I trust Bitcoin more than I trust my own government to keep the value of its currency. And that's saying a lot. Um, so, like I said, we still have cash reserves, and that's something that's going to stay in the bank, and that's probably something you know we'll lose <laughs> in this next recession. Let's hope not. I'm really hoping this nothing that this doesn't happen. Nobody wants this, but I think all signals are pointing that something is going to happen. And um, some of the biggest prominent speakers in the in the space are talking about it. So it was it was a sure enough bet for me, and that's kind of my cold hard truth that I had for myself, <laughs> really. And I'm just sharing that with y'all. I think for the vast majority of the time that I've been into crypto and Bitcoin since 2015, I really take a uh, kind of a cavalier approach to it. Just kind of, okay, we're doing this, right? We're buying this every day, you know, maybe not much, maybe here and there we're speculating on some things. Uh, I feel like this year I've more have taken a professional approach to investing in it, uh, crypto and Bitcoin. And uh, as of this weekend, I feel like I've made the uh, biggest uh, stride in that direction. So. What I'm trying to say is do something that you feel comfortable doing. If it takes you five years to do that or four years to do that, then so be it. Uh, but making sure that you go at your own pace. Don't let others influence you. Uh, don't let me influence you. Do what's right for yourself and for your family first and foremost. And be diligent at it. All right. See you guys next week. <laughs>